people of Adland. Do you know how many listeners you can reach by advertising on a Muddy Knees Media podcast? Loads! Every single episode of Galazzo alone is listened to by nearly 100,000 of those hard-to-reach 25 to 44-year-old men. But we do plenty more shows than that now. We've got The Offside Rule with Kate Borsay, Lindsay Hooper and Hayley McQueen. We've got The Offside Rule WSL Edition, the UK's premier women's football podcast. We've got Series Linked, a podcast that's dripping with celebrities. And then there's the rest of the Totally Football Network, which includes the very lovely thetotallyfootballshow.com. If you'd like to talk about advertising with Muddy Knees Media, drop us a line on sales at muddykneesmedia.com. That's sales at muddykneesmedia.com. And listeners, don't keep the show to yourself. Leave us a review, rate us, share it with your friends, and subscribe wherever you listen to the rest of your podcasts and never miss an episode. on thanks to the glory years of Il Campionato Più Bello del Mondo, it's Golazzo. eagle-eared listener that is the opening titles of a crazy little show called Il Processo di Biscardi a little show James crazy yeah, nothing big nothing little show. about it alright Gab's here James here and you're here listener as today on Galazzo we bring you something a little bit different rather than one of the classic games rather than one of the classic players or teams we're here to discuss and marvel and puzzle over a TV show about Italian football with a buffoonish host that was really popular in the 90s no not that one <laughs> <laughs> the one called Il Processo, The Trial. And the man who was behind it, who, who fronted it, who was basically all over the place on it. He was Al- judge, jury and executioner on this. <laughs> he said he was Aldo Biscardi. <laughs> Yep. Non parlate più di due o tre persone alla volta, se no si fa confusione. <laughs> Don't speak more than two or three of you at once, otherwise no one can understand anything. One of the kind of defining uh, phrases from Il Processo. Gab, in the UK you have Match of the Day, maybe Soccer Saturday as the kind of staple shows. In Italy, Il Processo del Lunedì, the kind of tent pole of the weekly footballing programming. What was it? Wow. So it was, it was actually born out of a show... Uh, which I think originally was on the radio and which was about the Giro d'Italia called Processo La Tappa. So in other words, putting that day's stage of, of the Giro d'Italia on trial where they had people coming on and saying, all right, I'm way out of my element with cycling. I know it's more your thing, but like, you know, ooh, why did so-and-so stay in the peloton and why didn't this guy attack at kilometer 50 as opposed to 100, right? I mean, suppose that's what you people talk about when you talk about cycling? Mm-hmm. All right. Um... And then in 1980, Aldo Biscardi, who at the time was an executive at the state television Italy, Rai, said, well, let's create a football version, put it on TV. We'll call it Processo del Lunedì, so the Monday trial. And we're going to have a bunch of talking heads. And it was a mixture of former professionals, but also, I'm only struck by in Italy, you have club presidents, you've got sporting directors who are always on television and always talking, yak, yak, yak. 
Um, you had those guys on, and then you would often have celebrity fans. Mm. So you would have um, whether politicians or like TV presenters in other fields or sometimes actors or singers. So you had this motley group, and it was a lot of people. It was like right. eight to ten people. Mm. And after three years, Biscotti himself started started hosting it. And that show just kind of took over as like the fulcrum, the talking point. This far, it sounds like, I don't know, the debate or any of those kind of sofa-based pundit chats. Yeah. But it really was. It's more like, I don't know, Jeremy Kyle meets, uh, <laughs> I don't know, uh, it's a knockout. Or, or, you know what? Look, it would be the debate right. if you had, you know, John W. Henry ringing up. With the Joseph... guy from Infowars, maybe. In... <laughs> <laughs> possibly. Possibly. Um, you know, Jose Mourinho sitting there with eight other people and shouting back and forth. And David right. Cameron sat in the audience. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like laughing and occasionally coming on stage. Right. And like big, big things. And, and it, it instantly developed an enormous audience. And this happened very quickly. It's a chicken and egg situation, right? But the audience became so big so quickly that... You know, and this was before Twitter, right? So you had a bunch of people delivering one-liners. And so for a lot of famous people, you know how like certain famous people, like perhaps the current leader of the free world, like Twitter because it's an unfiltered way to communicate with the audience? Right. Well, back then, even if you were a really important person, a club owner, blah, 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 you couldn't do that. But you could do it on Biscotti. So you had these people Biscotti phoning had... in unannounced, right? Says, "Oh, I heard what you said a few minutes ago. That's right. not true." Just so... well, and yeah. it was it was it was must-watch television for a long time. Biscotti had very similar hair to Trump. You mentioned Infowars, James. Right. I mean, he I think was taken to court at some stage by some of the referees. That's right. After saying in various 1999, things. And his defense in court was, <laughs> "But nobody takes this show seriously. You can't." You it can't take an defense. Mm. We're, we're not actually. We're not actually a journalism <laughs> show. It's just entertainment. But as you say, hugely successful, nonetheless. It, it's actually in the Guinness Book of Records as the longest-running program with the same presenter, ahead of David Letterman's American uh, late-night talk show. Thirty-six years it ran from 1980. He took over as presenter in 1983 until. 2016. Well, yeah, a year before he he died, and they've. I mean, it's been brought back now. And in the I, meantime, it went from kind of Rai to Telepiu to Tele Monte Carlo to La Sette, and then kind of after after Calciopoli, and we'll come on to this maybe a bit later on. It it kind of drifted away from going the on like local minor networks. I mean, yeah, and stuff like that. 36 it, years, which which makes the name Il Processo. Entirely appropriate because yeah. it's just like the Italian legal system. Yeah, these and, things just right. stretch out for years and years. And it became it went from Processo del Lunedì, which mm. was the Monday trial, to Processo di Biscardi, Biscardi's right. trial, right. named after him. And for a while, actually, after he took his show to to another network, Rye hung on to like tried trademark Processo Lunedì, and they tried to replicate it with other people, but it didn't work. It was him. He had a range of personal relationships of people who felt that they needed to be there, um, which was incredible. And then again, and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because right. if your voice isn't heard there, everybody can go and dump on you. So everybody felt that they needed an avatar of themselves to be on there. And, and this was manifested, in, and I'm assuming you'll play clips, but you had certain regulars who usually they were journalists. And, you know, one of them was a notorious Roma fan. One of them was a notorious Milan fan. One of them, very sad figure, was this, was this Inter fan. 
You didn't need a Juventus <laughs> fan because you often had Maggi himself on the show. One season, just to give you an idea of how big it was and how much, and I never quite understood because you looked at the people who sponsored the show and it was all like these very crappy sponsors. Like one year, like, do you remember they had this thing where it was like instant espresso? It looked like a little yogurt thing and you would shake it and it would get hot and you're supposed to drink your, I mean, it was just the most absurd thing and the production values were low. But one year, they had Diego Armando Maradona as a guest every week. One week in the studio in Italy, until, of course, he could no longer come back because they were going to arrest him over unpaid taxes. And the other week from his home in Cuba, where he was hanging out with his buddy Fidel and losing weight. I mean... This was one trial he was willing to attend. Right. Exactly. <laughs> the trial thing. I mean, the, the other... Yeah. Anyway, and this sorry. is extraordinary stuff. Diego Maradona does not come cheap. And again, I don't know if he ever got paid or how they paid him or, or, or whatever, but this was the absolute magnetic pull but, of this guy. Gab's absolutely right in saying it was Twitter pre-Twitter and right. that it would create a momentum or it create a narrative around a team, a manager, a player, which would then, yeah, I think in some respects explain the intensity of that hire and fire mentality that right. we, we saw in Italian football. And we're only now experiencing, say, in England, because you have hashtag Mourinho out, hashtag so-and-so. Mm. And these things really would you know, have a life unto themselves. Right. It either set or borrowed the tone of kind of popular Italian discourse about about football and in many ways set the tone of in a country where fans will invade training or, or throw fish at teams when they're not performing properly. Essentially, I think Biscardi, maybe even himself in that famous court case brought by the referees against his show, defined it as a puppet production, uh, that you had this kind of cast of characters. You had the likes of, uh, well, Maurizio Mosca, the legendary Maurizio Mosca. You had Tiziano Crudelli, who would later, of course, reach fame in, in, in the U UK through that series of of adverts, and you had an extraordinary list of of, of, of the great, the good, even of politics. Uh, uh, Maradona, you mentioned Gianni Agnelli came into the studio. This was at a time as well when there was a press boycott by Juventus, where Boniperti, who was the president, had basically said, "No one talks to the media. Players don't talk to the media." It was around when they were trying to sign Baggio, and yet Biscardi managed to get Gianni Agnelli to come on the show and talk about it, which again is un scoop. <laughs> Uno scoop. You know, we, we joke about it, but right. I mean, Agnelli is our royalty. We don't have a monarchy because we voted it out in a rigged vote in 1948. But the closest we have to a royal family in Italy, for better or worse, is the Agnelli family. And this guy was the patriarch of that family. And he came on to the show. It's absolutely extraordinary that you felt you were missing out if you weren't a part of it. And what makes it extraordinary, at least to me, is the fact that this wasn't a serious show in any sense. It was a show that anyone who considered themselves in any way kind of aware would laugh at. And particularly at Biscardi, who couldn't speak Italian properly, who would change his beliefs from the start of one sentence to the end of it. And certainly the way Biscardi looked, I mean, from an early age, he had this incredible orange hair, kind of Weasley-esque in its, in, in its hue of orangeness. Yeah, it was extraordinary. Now, I was curious to know at what point did he start dying because the color is obviously very unnatural. Mm. And I went back and I've done it with Trump as well. And actually with Trump, though, because Trump is obviously a lot younger, you can find Trump in the 70s and 80s. And he was just basically a guy with very blonde, with very blonde hair. And now, obviously, he's in his 70s, so people's hair changes. I couldn't find any pictures of Biscardi. Pre. Pre. That was his, <laughs> pretty sure it was a was black and white like world. That, that if you look at his baby pictures, he'll be there in an nappy with this incredible <laughs> bright orange kind of well, it's Baroque. I'm kind of curious colors. that Gab says that because, I mean, 
he's another person. Maybe it's because of the hair, but right. didn't really ever seem to age. No. Maybe because, again, in terms of how he dressed, how he wore his hair, yeah. color of his hair. I mean, I was quite surprised. You look at the kind of you know, photographs from the kind of months before his death. It's like they're the exact same photographs of like 1983 yeah. kind of Aldo Biscali. So whether he did exist before, whether he still exists he's in some kind of dimension. <laughs> yeah. He's an absolute, he'll always be. Yeah. The whole thing was a circus. It was a bit of a freak show. So the fact that despite That's why that. I watched it. Dis- I love my TV. <laughs> despite that, despite the fact that it, really there was no journalistic value to it at all, these people well, would go on. In many ways, for me, it, it paves the whole the whole kind of trash TV phenomenon. I think it, it paved the way for it way back in the 1980s. It, it, it probably did. I mean, it, there was nothing like it, I think, anywhere in the world at the time, not on a, not on a national stage uh, anyway. You know, I, we were talking about this before, before we started taping, but... Here in England, back then, football was just as popular as it was in Italy. And, you know, you had three channels of television and then you had fanzines. There, it was everybody, all the protagonists that you would read about in your red tops and in your tabloids, all in one place, talking to each other. I heard this great line about the difference between a liar and a bullshit, is that the liar knows that he's lying to manipulate. And we saw plenty of that on there. But the bullshit has no idea. He just keeps, keeps spouting lies and inventing things and, and pushing things further and further. And it was always fun to watch the show. You can go back and watch clips of it. In fact, there's, there's full shows of it. And you can start talking about, hmm, that guy, is he a liar or is he a bullshit? And you had plenty of both characters on there, along with, you know, the certifiable, like, Gauchi, we just mentioned. You're listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. What was the dynamic of the show? How did it actually work? Well, I mean, he was supposed to be the judge. You would have someone who would prosecute, someone who would defend. But ultimately, he would be sat right in the middle, almost like a kind of quiz master, I suppose. A, a sort of papal figure, because the way he used to raise his hands, calm everyone, <laughs> calm. But he, he, was, he was a tall guy, too, right. which, which helped. And he'd raise his hands to calm people. And then, as we found out, because obviously the, the camera work was, you know, a lot of things were done on the cheap on the show, it was done by idiots. Sometimes when people were arguing, you would see him, like, lifting his hands, trying to get people to shout louder. And I then, suppose then, Dimbleby on Question Time, but with, you know, sort of in the Brexit era, it, it was very so much was, that kind of animated... It'd be kind of like Trump hosting Question Time <laughs> with Alex Jones and a bunch of other people, <laughs> Chris Kamara and a bunch of other people on there. Yeah, and you would have the guy from Momentum on there. Right. And then Dominic <laughs> Cummings would phone in. Right. That would sort of be the dynamic. Right. In England, we talk about going down the pub and talking about things, don't right. we, be it football. In Italy, it's very much the bar or bar, bar sport. sports. <laughs> and this was kind of bringing the bar into the, the TV studio where essentially these, you know, you, you walk into a bar for a coffee or something stronger in Italy and invariably there are newspapers on the table, coffee stained, drink stained or whatever. And you get into a kind of quite animated discussion with the locals there, whether you know them or not, or the guy behind the bar. And this this very much felt like bringing these people into a national television discussion. It was like live pub bores for about three and a half hours. (laughs) Except they weren't pub. This is the thing, though. Except they weren't pub bore. They were the majority of them were people who actually had an influence and actually mattered. 
Well, let's get some of our favourite Prochesso moments. Another choice example from the many, many great opening titles that Prochesso enjoyed over the years, that one's Dami la Muviola uh, by Joni Falcone. Uh, Give me the replay. Muviola is such a huge part of Il Prochesso's appeal because they first brought replays into the whole kind of analysis thing and then stepped up the game in the late 90s with the uh, military technology, as apparently it was, behind the super Moviola. Yeah. So, well, they, they, had, well, they also had the Moviolone before that, which right. is like the big... So, what is, I think that's the same one, isn't it? Isn't that where they do the 3D yeah. imaging? So, this is pretty absurd. You know how like people complain about VAR and like they don't get the 3D imaging in the lines and the elbow and offside, whatever? But this, this was basically... They would take the TV pictures and then... People have found out later how they did this. And they would basically create, but it, it really looked like something that you would do at home on your laptop, if not on your phone, if you were 16 years old and well, bored. Yeah, but not back in the late 90s when they started it. When was this, 2000 they started doing this? They said it was military technology, yeah. where basically they would get these 3D images. They would and, 3D model the, yeah. the, basically the positions everywhere on the field and then spin it around. The office of the CIA was doing everything to try and get <laughs> the secrets behind this Moviolone. <laughs> and, and they would have the referee and the, the, the Moviolone expert. Yeah. That and they could walk into the picture. They could walk they? into the picture like, oh, look, you know, and like point to the guy's it's leg brilliant. and be like, yeah, I wasn't based in any kind of factual no. reality or anything, but it was brilliant. And it was as brilliant. we were later to discover in the Calciopoli trial. Moggi right. was writer, producer and editor <laughs> of, the, of, this, of this show. But I, I think what we, mm. again, to English audiences, I think a lot of people don't really get how much detail and how much time is given on Italian TV, particularly on shows like this, to refereeing decisions. Right. And how... how meticulous they are about going through every single just like frame rates <laughs> of a particular incident and i suppose it didn't necessarily start with with this show but it's certainly something that became bigger and bigger and bigger yeah. um and he credits himself with well he always demanded that we shouldn't just have a moviola in the studio we should have it at games in games mm. And what have we got in 2019? We've got what Biscardi always wanted. The VAR right. many, many years before. In fact, he once had, he once had Sepp Blatter on the show. Um, this was, I think he might have still been general secretary of FIFA at the time. Mm. But he comes on, he does the whole Blatter thing, and they hug and embrace. And then all of a sudden, he kind of sets a trap for him. And he shows them, in just 10 seconds, you know, I can decide that this is a foul. And then you got somebody else shouting like, but it wasn't a foul. It wasn't a foul. And so they, they go into this, this whole discussion. And, and Blatter, of course, who, you know, curious character to begin with, he's just looking at this and saying like, oh, my God, like, what kind of like freak show have I landed in? Yeah. Like, I feel out of place. Kind of future. That's quite a... Uh, I know. Yeah. Um, famously, he said, Il Muvillone me l'ha chiesto pure il Vaticano per l'attentato al Papa. The Vatican had asked him for the technology the movie alone technology <laughs> to sort out the attempt on the Holy Father's life. Assassination attempt, yeah. Which yeah. incidentally was like 15 years before. Well, anyway, <laughs> let's, let's, let's then, let's have some, some choice uh, memories from Il Processo. You mentioned Gianni Agnelli coming on. He wasn't the only Italian leader. There was the, the time after Roma won the Scudetto, the Giuliano Dirotti, who was there in the studio. Yeah, Beelzebub himself. Was, Incredible. Yeah, and again, he would, break news on here because Andreotti was a Roma fan and you know 
was it when Dino Viola died and there was a takeover, he very much kind of positioned his people to be in charge, blah, blah, blah. But he said that, uh, don't worry, guys, Falcao is staying. And the, and again, this is this is something that would be a recurring theme of, Gab mentioned celebrity fans. Often these celebrity fans would actually be president or prime minister of the country at the time. <laughs> right. Well, then possibly Biscardi's greatest scoop ever when in 2009, who rings up but Silvia Berlusconi? with some very happy news. Yep, Silvio Berlusconi announcing on Il Processo, the only forum really worthy of the uh, of the news, that Kaká was staying and not going to Man City after all. And that man sobbing in the background, by the way, <laughs> is Tiziano Crudelli, one of the many regulars on Il Processo. Crudelli, who earned a certain level of notoriety in the UK through those adverts, but is this kind of extraordinarily ultra-Milan supporting journalist who, who will wander around the studio in tears if, if, if someone scores a goal against Chievo. And, and by the way, when he did that, let's not forget, Silvio Berlusconi owns the three biggest commercial networks in Italy. He could have called any one of them to announce that Kaká was staying. But no, he calls a rival one because he knows that if you do it on Biscardi, it means more. Another announcement, another club president. The moment when in 1993, uh, Vittorio Cechigori basically took over the show and kind of grabbed the mic to discuss why he'd fired so controversially Gigi Radici. It was 92, actually, wasn't it? No, no, it was January 93. So he's there basically saying, Radici earns this much and I get this much from my cinema productions and Radici is not worth any of this. And then who calls up? Gigi Radici. At which point there's a little bit of give and go, and then basically Vittorio Giacchigori just gets up and walks, walks off the program. Magnificent. La trasmissione non ci vengo mai più. La trasmissione non ci vengo mai più. Per cortesia, è una promessa. No, Vittorio. Cosa fa? Squadra la testa come un bambino. Non ci credo. Another glorious bit of Biscardi, which I think sums him up quite nicely, is during the Processo del Mondiale, the World Cup shows that they would do, and this is from '98 when uh, they have Roberto Baggio on the line <laughs> from the World Cup. So Piscardi starts asking a question. One minute later, he is still asking the question. One minute and 48 seconds. So one minute, I think it's one minute and 20, he actually finishes, and then the line goes down before Baggio can answer. <laughs> so Baggio's left there going, what? I can't hear anything. And this is one of the reasons why this show is so long. Yeah, I suppose the other questions. <laughs> he would always run over, right? He'd always sort of you know, say something like, oh, look, they're just telling me we have an extra six minutes. So, okay, so let's talk for another 10. And then he'd like talk for another 20, right? But you, know, you can ask yourself, why would anybody sit in front of a show yeah. for three and a half hours? I think why? in this country, the longer show, it's not like live sport or a film. is probably an hour or something, right? Or an hour and 20 minutes. But the thing is, I mean, I think James nailed it before when he talked about the bar. It was the kind of show that you would just kind of drop in on and drop out of. You could walk into, it's like Cheers, you know, you, you would walk into a pub and you would see your, these familiar characters and then, you know, maybe you get bored, you go to the loo, you'd fix yourself a sandwich, you'd come back and they were all still there, all still talking, right? Usually about the same stuff. They, when you mentioned the, the analysis, they rarely analyzed football. I mean, most of it really was just refereeing decisions right. and just and sort shouting. of like, and shouting, but the shouting was of the nature of like, 
you're good, you're bad. It wasn't, you know, they didn't sit there. People think that, you know, in Italy... We, then it we, would we, get very personal. Yeah, very... <laughs> people think in Italy, like, you know, we have these, these extremely sort of onanistic uh, discussions of, of tactics and like, ooh, should Pjanic play 10 meters forward, 10 meters back? We have a lot of that. Some might say we have too much of that. But this wasn't it. This really was just the, 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 the lowest common denominator lowest barrier to entry type thing where you would just pick a side and just strap yourself in for the ride. Like that glorious time when Luciano Gauci was on and he has the argument with uh, uh, Moncalvo and, and calls him, what does he call him? The, the, the of the human race. Yes, but no, 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 but he doesn't call him that. That's, that's the beauty of it. So we have these, these two characters. Gigi Moncalvo is one of my least favorite people in, in the universe. He's, he's a guy who at one point was in charge of the, the, the second biggest television network in Italy. He is very close to or pretends to be very close to Andreanelli. I never quite figured out how real that is, but Andreanelli is his god, despite the fact that he's not actually a Juve fan. And, and he's, he's a guy who's got nothing to do with football. You know, he is, he's another one of these guys. He's like, be a bit like Hugh Edwards, you know, rocking up a match of the day, match of the day lasting eight hours, right. and, you know, getting into it with Mike Ashley. Right. Um, so Gauchi, who's obviously we've covered him, a show, you know, go back to listen to our, our audition on him. He's obviously, you know, way off his rocker, but he calls up and Moncavo's already said, like, I'm not putting up with this. I've got my lawyers ready. I will sue him. Right. So as he comes on, everybody's talking like, all right, here it comes. You're going to get sued for libel the minute you have a go. Cause Gauchi's like, his face is all red and he doesn't call him a piece of <laughs> He calls him a piece of poo uses the word caca <laughs> as if he was a child. And I think in a rare moment of lucidity, mm. Gauchi realizes I got to be careful. And all he does is you're pooey. Everything about you is poo. You know, I think he's using the word cacoso, which is a word like a, like a six-year-old might use, right? Because at that point, he's not really going to take him to task because he doesn't want to get sued again, although he has no trouble with, with lawyers. He's a bunch of entertainer. And, and, and that was part of the beauty of it. Sempre come ritorsione alla risposta a quello che ha detto lei nei confronti di Gheddafi. Lei è la cacca del genere umano. Si vergogni. Si vergogni. This is the other, the other idiocy here. They're, right. they're arguing about the fact that, about why he might have signed, opted to sign the son of Muammar Gaddafi, you know, with the Lamborghinis and stuff, riding around Perugia. Yeah, I was going to tell us now is that in three hours later, final 10 minutes of the show, Gaddafi shows up, the actual Colonel Gaddafi. There's <laughs> <laughs> one other great Processo memory, for me anyway, was uh, about Maurizio Mosca, who was this bizarre figure who... Um, he used to do his predictions with a little pendulum and for a time also did his own version of Processo in, in the Tuesday Appeal, a program, a yep. rival show that came afterwards um, on another channel. Do you, do, you know, do you know Mosca's past, though? Yeah, so he was capo redattore. How would you translate so that? He was... Editor-in-chief? Huh? No, it's, no, because he's, he's a bit below that. He, he was, he was because they'll have four or five of them. At, right, at, at and Gazzetta the Gazzetta dello Sport. He was at Gazzetta dello Sport. He was in a senior position. He was maybe One of the like most senior people at the biggest yeah. institution of Italian sports. But even before so. that, his right. dad was like a professor or a writer. He has a brother who's like this very serious intellectual. And he's just a complete weirdo who one day decides to... Also, his name means housefly, which is great. Yeah. So one day he decides to interview Zico. Right. The 
Zico. Which is weird because Zico never gave interviews to the Italian press. How was this possible? Because of the extremely close friendship between Mosca and Zico. And there were some really there were extraordinary statements in the interview, including one in which Zico says, Platini, you're finished. Among other things, yeah. And problem is, depending who you believe, the interview might never have taken place. Right. He might never actually have spoken to Zico. Certainly, Gazzetta dello Sport came to the conclusion well, that... Okay, so it all ha- it all comes to head on. Where else? Il processo del lunedì or di Biscardi. Because they have one in the studio and then Zico on the line. And Biscardi asks Zico about his close friendship with Mosca and how this ever came about. And Zico says, I've never seen the guy before in my life. And yeah, that, I believe, is the night that Maurizio Mosca lost his job at the Gazzetta dello Sport. Yeah, I mean, I think Gazzetta then did some more inquiries and... I think he came up, I mean, Mosca's passed now, but he came up with some sort of convoluted story through his Brazilian... He said he was victim of a plot because he's too dangerous. (laughs) Like Pasolini. But a bit like like Biscardi himself, it didn't seem to make any difference to his career. You're essentially being caught out in a lie. Just to clarify this, his defense was that he did interview Zico, and Zico was his friend, but... There is this, the Illuminati sort of Freemason deep state that said, oh, Mosca's too dangerous. He just got the biggest interview in the world. Right. So, and we're so powerful. Let's go and make Zico deny all knowledge of Mosca and his friendship with Mosca. A bit like Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Yeah. And then we'll get, we'll use that as a pretext for Gazzetta to fire him. And then Mosca will be silenced forever. Except, of course, he wasn't because then he went on I think t- different television shows. We so That's the thing. I mean, he essentially been kind of completely defrocked as a journalist, but still was on Guidal Campionato for like two decades or so. Clearly, though, when Zico said Platini is finished or did not say that, he was he was meaning not his football career, but his his career early at FIFA and right. UEFA. You know, right. many years later, many and this this is what later. couldn't get out at that time. Yes, it was twenty five years, and also thirty Mos- years ahead of his time. Mosca did not need to interview Zico to get this out of him because he said, <laughs> on the Jesus. end of the pendulum was yeah. his crystal, which yeah. he would you know then divine the truth from you know from. Listen, this <laughs> is what people would do on TV <laughs> instead of talking about well, football back in the the eighties, nineties, and indeed through much of the noughties, and, and indeed still now. You mentioned the pendulum there. This had to do with the fact, with his predictions, and also he was this transfer market expert who would tell you stuff that was going to happen, and obviously it, it, it generally never did because he had no idea what the hell he was talking about. And again, when we talk about the distinction between a liar and a bull****, he was definitely at the bull****** end of the spectrum. One of the, the cult clips on Italian YouTube is Mosca's presenting uh, a show in Milan, I think it's Tele Lombardia, right? And this guy rings up, and people would start, it was late at night, people start calling up and like making fun of him, or some guy would, would, would phone up and be like, oh, Mosca, you know, you're totally high on coke right now. Like, I know, because I sold you, right? And Mosca all of a sudden says, ah, no, 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 we got you, we got you, I've been tracking that phone call, I've been tracking that phone call, I will not be libeled on television, hang on, hang on, and then he, like, he pretends like there's another phone ringing and he picks so it up. They, they go to a break, I think, it's four minutes later that he announces that the police have now arrested the man who made no, that call. but he pretends he's on the phone with the police. <laughs> oh, with the police, right. He's like, what's that? Yeah, yeah, the police? Yeah, you're outside the house, he makes up an address. Yes, you're arresting him now? That's great, that's great. All phones were tapped on the uh, Processor de Luna Dio del Biscardi anyway. Oh, that's a natural, it's a great segue. But, but, but I should say as well, 
listeners, if you want to see who was one of the victims of Maurizio Mosca and his, his wit, old Roy Hodgson. He had the oh, live yes. link to the stadium, didn't he? Where uh, and I can't remember at what point of Hodgson's career in Italy this was, but it was certainly after the most notorious thing that he's always kind ah, of blamed I think it was, for. This was a, when Hodgson right. was a no, this was the Roberto Sorry, Carlos question. Yeah. Yeah. And he yeah. brings up Roberto Carlos, and uh, Hodgson takes off his earpiece and just walks away. Walks away. All right. Uh, in 2006, briefly, it looked like all the games were coming to an end because of Calciopoli the massive corruption scandal centering around Luciano Moji's cupola, his sphere of influence which extended to players, to managers, to referees, to agents, and even to television journalists, and even to Aldo Biscardi. Among the many, many taped phone calls that came out during the whole trial were several in which Moji rang up either Biscardi himself or one of the other people in the kind of production team and told them essentially which uh, referees they were going to give an easy go on Monday or which facts they needed to change about their analysis of the game, who they could criticise and who they couldn't I mean, Modji's game really was dealing in influence uh, I can influence your career for the positive and therefore you will owe me a favour and therefore any referees under his wing could not be criticised on uh, Il Processo or any of those programs, particularly Il Processo. So you got him here in, in, in the recordings telling them, for example, with a uh, 3D-generated Super Moviolone, uh, to change the positions of, of, of players, a Trezeguet goal uh, for Juventus that was offside, can you make it a little less offside? <laughs> or just chop that section entirely. Or Bertini, no, take it all out, take it all out. You must absolve the, the, the referee. Amazing and briefly, well, Biscardi was stripped of his membership of the of the I mean the equivalent of the NUJ in Italy, but then just kept going anyway. Well, and we mentioned at the top of the show one of the most famous clips is is of Berlusconi calling in saying Kakios staying, and that's three three years later. Yeah, and he's still very much. I mean, the 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 whole, the whole thing with this, I and mean, again, people are going to say like, well, this is an odd way to go and and influence people. And in some ways, I think it shows Moji's power, but also it shows that he was still beholden to others. You know, it was a symbiotic relationship because he would go on the show a lot as a guest in the studio, but, you know, few things are free. And Moji understood the importance of PR and, and, and messaging. So it created a situation where, because this was one of the most watched shows, by going and emphasizing about a mistake that a particular referee might have made, um, you know, you started messing with, with the heads of referees. You started messing with the heads of the people who, uh, who appoint the referees because then you get a backlash from fans of a certain club and saying like, oh, look, he was on side. Why'd you flag him off? Why are you against us? Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, in the heads of the referees, they're like, oh, well, do, do I really want this headache? Or if you're the referee saying, oh, my God, this guy's going to go on television and they're going to spend half an hour savaging me and my family. And so it became very clear sort of how the system worked, how the sphere of influence worked. And... Again, you don't want to bring it to the present and, you know, other forms. I mean, I'd, I'd love to know if Facebook had been around back then and Cambridge Analytica had been around back then, you know, <laughs> they would have turned to those dark arts to go and influence um, public opinion. Very interesting question. Prochetto itself uh, is still going with a different host because Biscardi himself died in, in 2017. But by now it's... His funeral was on a Monday. There you go. His yeah. day. Yeah. His day. Who's it, Ravizzani? Ravizzani? No, who, who is, who, who's the I'm host? I'm not sure who's I hosting. Know. I mean, I that's the thing. It's, it's no it's, longer. Uh, it yeah, was no for longer. so long such a big part of it, Italian sporting life. Now, not so much. But it almost doesn't matter because 
his offspring are kind of populating the airwaves anyway. You've got Crudeli on Sete Gold. You've got uh, Prima Canali. I mean, we talked about this before. We had Franco Scolio dying live on air. You've got uh, even recent examples of uh, Luciano Passerani on, on the magnificently titled Qui Studio a Voi Stadio and his terrible comments about Lukaku. I mean, there's just countless shows on countless of these private TV channels. Of Who's the guy who douses himself in lighter fluid? What? <laughs> and he's about to, like, set himself alight. No, what was that on? That's one of the... It's, Another it's, of these kind yeah. of shows that have kind of grown up, kind of the, mushroomed under the kind of shadow of, of Il Processo. But, yeah, all these shows where basically, instead of doing analysis, it's a group of people sat in a room shouting at each other, for hours, and <laughs> they uh, just shout. They also, they joke, they joke. They, you know, they. But I mean, there there are some terrific programs on on uh, Italian TV, or certainly, for example, the the, the post game on on uh, Sky Italia is is exceptionally well done, and sophisticated and, and, and mature. Uh, but or even the show that Ilario D'Amico does, you know, like right. one of those weird sort of contradictions is that we are an incredibly chauvinistic. Uh, country and when it comes to football all the more so but you know relative to other countries you know it's much more diverse I mean the biggest sort of afternoon show on 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 Sky Italia is run by this extremely talented woman named Ilaria D'Amico who companion of uh, Gigi Buffon of course yeah but but we should point out that this was after she was already famous and and important they got together but you know you have Carolina Morace Doing who co-coms. Go, doing co-coms like in in the early nineties, you know when when most of these people you know when when Alex Scott was five years old. Right. I'm guessing, right? So you have this incredible contradiction. But even some of the ones, some of the more Wondanara lo- on Tiki Taka. Yeah, Wondanara is not a great example. But <laughs> I don't know. No, her and Cassano going at it is pretty uh, pretty special. Tiki Taka. Okay, you said was the heir to it. I am biased here because my friend is the host, but. It does have a mixture of that because you have Wanda Nara on television. But again, I think she's there as a co-host even, although other than talking about Mario Riccardi and making jokes that nobody seems to understand because her Italian is still what it is after about 10 years in Italy. Um, but then you have, you know, Cassano and Bob Ovieri acting like, you know, Jack the Lad and, you know, I have to also, say... Also, on, on Tiki Taka, this is a show that even Julian Laurence has started watching because Icardi's moved to Paris Saint-Germain. And it has kind of transcended uh, even Italy. People know about it because invariably the Icardi story was so big and Wanda uses this as a platform to talk about that situation. But it's a big studio and there are lots of couches. There are probably like four couches. And, yeah, again, you have... Gab mentions the ex-players that they have on there, be it you know, Cassano... Vieri or people from the past like um, Ricardo Ferri and various kind of media set or ex-media set types. And then, yeah, people who are radio presenters um, and it's on for three hours after the Sunday night game, which I, I find, I always find incredible that, you know, you, you, you finish watching, you know, the Derby d'Italia on Sunday night You've probably dedicated your entire evening to that. You've watched the pre-match, and then you're about to watch... No, no, then you watch an hour of post-game analysis, and then it starts. Yeah, which, again, I suppose in length, maybe this wouldn't have been possible were it not for Il Processo di Biscardi. Dude, I mean, just to finish off then, because when he died, there were a lot of, I mean, heartfelt tributes from Maradona and, and, and everybody else, but there were countless long columns about how he revolutionized... TV. Was he a, a revolutionary? 
I think so, in that before that you had, I mean, you still do have Domenica Sportiva, which back in the day was not entirely what it is now, which is, again, kind of a Biscardi-esque show, where it was, I don't know, someone like um, Des Lynham and Gianni Barrera, and they would talk quite straight about a game. They would read the scores. Uh, they would bring in interviews. And that's kind of football as we know it in this country. Whereas Biscardi was, it didn't just kind of complement that. It was a complete alternative to it. And I don't think we have anything like it in this country. I can't speak for other countries because I don't really have an experience of them. Have you seen anything like it around the world, Kev? There are shows like that, you know, obviously involving other sports all over South America, in Spain today. Yeah. Like you think of like El, El Chiringuito or, or Jugones or all this other stuff. Um, and in Spain, they had a tradition of having it on the radio, of course. These shows would come on, like El Larguero would, would start at midnight. In fact, it still does start at midnight, right? I don't quite get the sleep patterns in Spain, but these, these are all more recent phenomenons. And, and these were shows where, you know, you would get club presidents phoning up and telling you, you know, their, their view on something. I, I think a lot of it, though, goes back to what I said before. It's background noise. It's stuff you can pop in and out of. I mean, I think it's very dated now, but it was a social media of its time you know it was something that you were missing out the same way like you f some people feel that they're not that they're missing out if they don't check their facebook or their twitter you know every hour you kind of felt that you were missing out if you didn't go and watch you know at least drop in on biscardi well i guess if you like the way that uh, sporting tv coverage has gone in italy you owe aldo a big thank you as he <laughs> as he would say and, uh, well, we salute him, an extraordinary man, an extraordinary programme. Um, and we'll finish off perhaps with a little reminder of one glorious banner dedicated to him at Cesena all those years ago. Biscardi, the real trial should be of your hairdresser. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's another edition of Golazzo with Gabriele Marcotti and James Horncastle. Another five editions should be with you or soon with you, uh, in which we're talking about all sorts of other topics like the treble-winning season of Jose Mourinho at Inter, or the amazing Cristiano Lucarelli, and, of course, Gianfranco Zola. So seek those out. For now, anyway, many thanks, Gabriele and James. And, uh, listener, thanks for being with us. We'll catch up with you at your convenience. You've been listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. It's a Muddy Knees Media production, and for sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Check out our other football shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audio Boom, and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. <laughs>